Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to our number two, today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Wednesday, March the 16th. The day before is St. Patrick's Day. I call it, uh, uh, what, 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 what do I call it? <laughs> now I lost my sense of my train of thought here. Amateur hour. Yeah. I, all the drinking holidays are like amateur hour to me. Cinco, New Year's. Like, it just, I'm like, come on. Like, people just act a fool. Get a grip. Be safe out there. Be smart. Have fun. Like, go out, like, seriously, go out and have fun. Have a good time. It's, it's, Fun to celebrate some other countries, uh, you know, and uh, an important person's sainthood, apparently. But uh, do it responsibly. Please don't act a fool. Don't drink and drive. Just be responsible. Be an adult, for God's sakes. Thank you for tuning in here, whether you're on the AM side at 1490, on the FM side at 104.9, or if you're listening via the live stream, which can be found on ESPNTucson.com. I appreciate you guys. I know you guys have... A choice of where you get your sports news, information, opinions, entertainment, whatever. Uh, and uh, I'm glad you choose the Jeff Dean Show. As I, I have a lot to say, especially today. Apparently, I've you know, I've been uh, the 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 itch has uh, not been scratched yet, and I'm I, I'm still upset about the whole defensive player of the year finalist. But we're going to move on from that. Um, Arizona had their pro day yesterday for for football. Arizona football with. Uh, I think it was, uh, was it uh, 12 players? 12 players participated in the pro day yesterday at Arizona Stadium. There were a lot of NFL scouts on hand. Certainly more, there were, there were more players and more scouts at the pro day than I would have guessed if you had asked me back in August of last year, uh, how many guys do you think are going to be attending Arizona's pro day? I'm like, pro day? Pro day? <laughs> like, like talking about you know, Jim Mora with playoffs? I don't want to talk about playoffs. Playoffs? You can barely win a game. <laughs> I would have been the same way. Pro day? Pro day? We can barely field a team. Uh, but there were 12 players on hand yesterday at their pro day, and some of them showed out. Like, Stanley Berryhill ran a 4-4-5-40, which would have been top 15, I think, at the combine this year. Like, for wide receivers, that's pretty damn good. Um, he also had a pretty darn good uh, vertical jump. His vertical jump was 37 inches. That would have ranked ninth at the uh, at the combine, the NFL combine amongst wide receivers. And I thought the, maybe the the best aspect of of his pro day. Um, and again, I'm getting this from the re, you know the reporters that were there. Michael Lev uh, specifically was there and covering it. And there were some videos of some of the things going on that. Uh, some of the the scouts like the scouts like to kind of throw curveballs at these pro days because they know that guys script their pro days like that's what you do you work on it and you say we're gonna you know if we're like a quarterback receiver combo right we're gonna run this route we're gonna run this we're gonna run this we're gonna practice 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 and then an NFL scout shows up and say I want to see you run a dig I want to see you run a seven I want to see you run uh you know a post corner um, show me a, a you know a back shoulder you know back shoulder fade, uh, you know, something like that. And, or show me a, a front pylon fade. You know, they, they'll throw stuff in there that, 
that you didn't practice, and you have to just do it on the fly. And that's what happened yesterday for Arizona. Uh, Will Plummer was throwing the passes for Stanley Berry Hill, and a couple of the scouts were like, we want to see you run this, we want to see you run this. Because, you know, they have ideas of where they're going to play you, okay? Stanley Berry Hill will be a slot player in the NFL if he uh, ends up playing a wide receiver, and I do believe he will find his way onto an NFL roster, especially after his performance yesterday at the Pro Day. It went very well. Uh, but they, you know, they said, hey, I want, you to, I want you to run this. I want you to run that. Little surprises, a couple of wrinkles in there. And according to people that were on hand, uh, he passed the test. So we'll see where that gets him. I think that, you know, Stanley is is destined for kind of a special teams because he is a very good special teams player. He understands and, and grasps the importance of playing special teams. I think that he'll be valued by NFL teams as a special team player and like a, you know, sixth receiver, you know, type of situation. We get a guy, you know, a couple guys go down. Uh, we can, you know, run you in the slot. Or they can, you know, run him out there for jet sweeps and things like that. But running a four-four-five, that's no slouch, uh, according to the numbers. That was actually sixteenth. Uh, I thought it was top fifteen. It would have been sixteenth amongst the wide receivers who ran at the combine uh, just a few weeks ago. So very happy for Stanley. had a uh, had a good uh, had a good train uh, uh, a good uh, day of uh, training and a good workout and good for him. A couple other guys, Clay Markoff. Fullback, one of my favorite dudes on the team this year. Didn't get to uh, didn't get to get a whole lot of playing time. I think it was just Arizona was just trying to piece as many things together as they possibly could. And I felt like Clay Markoff should have been a more prevalent piece of the offense. But then again, you know, I'm not in the meeting rooms and I don't know what the concepts were. Maybe uh, the the structure just wasn't working out or whatever have you. I felt like Arizona needed more blocking though. And I felt like Clay Markoff could have offered that. And then he puts up 38 reps, reps on the bench press yesterday and destroys it. I mean, just killed it on the bench. Um, and I think Clay Markoff, again, another guy who may find himself in the league playing in a, in a special teams role, uh, you know, as like a wedge buster. They don't have those anymore. But, you know, a guy that can, that can you know, play on special teams where, you know, uh, PAT, uh, field goal, that kind of stuff. You just need a big body in there to take up some some space and not get moved off of your spot. That's Clay Markoff. Like, you know, and you can you can carve out an NFL career doing that. The minimum salary is, let's see, after your fourth year, gets bumped up to eight hundred and ninety thousand dollars, I believe, and it's probably going to go up uh, over the next few years. So, <laughs> pretty pretty good living, right? If you're Clay Markoff, so good for him. Uh, Josh McCauley. He was there yesterday. He had himself a good pro workout, four-year starter at Arizona. Uh, Lucas Haversick went to John Carney's kicking camp in New Mexico um, from the you know for the last couple of months. And John Carney, look, one of the one of the better kickers. Well, probably where the uh, kickers get forgotten, you know, from NFL history pretty easily. John Carney was a ridiculously good kicker in the NFL for many years. Um, and you know he's got his own camp now that he runs out of uh, out of New Mexico. And Lucas Haversick, whom you know Arizona fans know, he has this incredible leg. He was one of the most prolific kickers in the country the last two years in touchbacks, touchback rate on on kickoffs. He just he's got a boot. The problem for for Lucas has been accuracy. Uh, you know over the years in in short kicks, in long kicks. I mean, he just, you know, he's lacked some of the some of the uh, accuracy that is required of an NFL kicker. 
what Carney got him to do was just slow his pace down. He said that, that his pace was too fast. He was approaching the ball too rapidly, that he just needed to, to compose himself, focus, have a little more fluidity to his movement and a little bit more deliberation to it, not be so rapid to just attack the ball and kick the snot out of it. And yesterday he, he made a 60-yard field goal and a 66-yard field goal. Now, I've seen, I've seen Lucas kick in pregame, and I've seen him kick, you know, 55. I mean, he kicked in games. He had 57-yard field goals two, uh, twice. He converted on 57-yard field goals during his career at Arizona. Um, and I've seen him kick in the pregame, and I've seen him kick, you know, 55, 60-yarders. I've never seen him connect on a, like, over a 60-yard kick before. At least I don't remember him kicking one that far. 66-yard, though, field goal, you know, through the uprights, that's going to get people's attention. You know, on, on the same day that Nick Folk just signed another contract with the New England Patriots, signed a two-year deal with the Patriots, he's going to make triple what he made over the last three years in his next two years um, because of, of his ability to kick accurately. You can have a long, long career in the NFL if you can just be consistent. And if Lucas Haversick has found the magic elixir at John Carney's camp and it can become a more consistent kicker with a leg like that, good grief. Like, put him, you know, put him down for a 20-year career in the NFL, man, because, look, half the teams last year were, like, looking for a new kicker. Who, who was the team that went through three kickers last year? Uh, was it uh, – well, Jacksonville sucks, but uh, there was a good team last year. I can't remember who it was. They went through, like, three kickers. Because they couldn't convert PATs, the 33-yard PAT. He kicked those all day yesterday, apparently, at the pro day. The scouts wanted to see, we want to see kick PATs. Please. We need – PAT conversion was the worst in NFL history last year. So, uh, I think I think Lucas has himself a, uh, a future in the NFL. We, we've known his leg is remarkable. He needed to uh, – uh, he needed to get more consistent, more accurate. And if, if – the John Carney camp that he, you know the time that he spent, I think he was there for you know for the last couple of months, learning from one of the NFL greats, uh, certainly of the last you know thirty years or so. Uh, then you know that's that's I'm I'm so happy for him. He's you know he's got a bright career ahead of him. Certainly a smart kid, and I didn't know this. He's dating Sam Thomas. I, I didn't know that. I don't get into the whole like Hollywood dating thing. Like I don't I don't understand that. I don't follow that kind of stuff but they asked him they're like are you going to be at the game on saturday he goes yeah i have to i was like well why does he have to be there oh (laughs) okay got it he and sam thomas are dating i didn't know see i'm not i don't involve myself in that kind of stuff so but uh yeah so a good pro day for arizona um anthony pandy he uh he you know he did his thing he was um faster than devin lloyd at utah in his 40 which is cool you know i mean look there's there's some athletes there and i remember when, when i talked to the scout from the atlanta falcons uh earlier this year when he was ta- he took in a couple of practices at arizona and he was like you got one dude here you got one dude that can play in the nfl now after a year of conditioning with to and under this staff and with how important they've made it to be that stepping stone to the nfl things have changed like arizona's got legit players that are ready, that may play in the NFL next season, or this season, I should say. Now, they may not get anybody drafted, but as I've said many times on this show, 
50% of the league is made up of guys who were undrafted. Half the league. Look it up. And it's not, it's not a recent uh, you know, occurrence. It's not, a, it's not a recent change in the way the NFL is doing things. It's been this way for decades, like 15, 20, 25 years. Half the league made up of dudes who were never drafted. You got to keep your dream alive, keep pushing, keep working on your game. It's a game that can be rewarded to you at the age of 22 or at the age of 32. Like, just keep working, depending on your your position and such. But, you know, a guy that, you know, guys that were, weren't even on anyone's NFL radar in August are now going to be looked at in April. And I think that's just a remarkable uh, a remarkable feather in the cap, not only for the program, but for the coaching staff, for Jed Fish and his philosophy of making Arizona a stepping stone to the NFL, for T.O. and his, you know, his staff of getting these kids to a higher level in their conditioning and their strength, and most importantly to the young men that have put in the time, the effort, the hours, the blood, the sweat, the tears to better themselves, to try to get themselves to the league. Because that's, that's their dream. I mean, that's every kid's dream. You, you talk to anyone who plays high school football, their dream is to play in the NFL. The fact of the matter is, less than 1% of them ever will. So for these kids, for these young men in Arizona, very, very happy for them and uh, better, you know, even better to come. Jed Fish said after, after, the, you know, after the practice yesterday that they had um, that you know, he, he expects – this to be a, a you know an NFL proving ground. That's what he's trying to build here. That's why his recruiting class was so strong because he's got the NFL ties. I've I've been asked I, I can't even I can't even count how many times I've been asked by fans here up here in Phoenix, most of them Arizona State fans, trying to figure out how the hell he did it. Like how the hell did he do it? Like well, uh, for instance, Sean McVay the Super Bowl winning head coach of the Los Angeles Rams this year is going to be speaking at his symposium that he's holding, a coach's symposium that he's holding on campus and you know for a couple of days. Like Sean McVay is going to be there. So is Steve Spurrier and other very well known head coaches. Early in the year he had Brian Billick speak to the kids. Like he's he's connected and kids love that connection to the NFL. You know who also loves that connection to the NFL? Mom and dad. Yeah, mom and dad love the connections that Jed Fish and his staff had have to the NFL. So that's how he's doing it. And uh, and we're going to be better for it. And Arizona football is bright, and it's things are looking up, man. I am very, very excited. Now, at the practice yesterday, I, it, it's, it's weird because you hear the, the statements made by Jed Fish during the press conference. I even sent a text to my buddy last night when I got a chance to listen to the press conference. I'm like, it sounds like. Jed Fish has already selected Jaden Delora as the starting quarterback because he was asked, like, what's the competition going to be like for these guys? And Jed was basically like, uh, you know, the competition is what it is, but, you know, we've got our plan already. And Jaden Delora ran with the ran with the ones in practice yesterday. And he said that there's really not going to be a whole lot of change in that philosophy. Like, he, they're not going to flip-flop back and forth. It's not going to be – Jaden with the ones today, McLeod with the ones tomorrow, Will Plummer with the ones, and then Noah with the ones like they did last year when they were trying to figure out what they have. I think Jed Fish knows what he has. He knows he has the returning Pac-12 freshman offensive player of the year in at quarterback. 
and he has a kid with a lot of moxie and a big arm sitting right next to him at the, as the freshman and could be pr- pushing him to be better every single day. But I th- just reading between the lines, and maybe I'm looking too much into this, but I think that Jed Fish has already selected Jaden Delora as his starter. That's just that's what I got from the two sentences that he that he said yesterday during his press conference. That's what stood out to me. I was like, did he just basically say that Delora is going to run with the ones and they're not going to change it up until somebody, do, you know, makes a move? Now, according to the people that you know have seen the practices and stuff. He, Delora doesn't have the strongest arm on the team. That's Noah Fafita. Noah's got the strongest arm on the team. And like I said before, this is going to be an interesting situation because, like I said a few weeks ago, I believe that the coaches have decided on Jaden Delora as their starter and that the players are going to fall in love with Noah Fafita because Noah has that that follow-me factor. He's got the general you know, and not, not I mean, not uh, like random, uh, you know, uh, generic kind of way. I mean, uh, like a field general, like a general in the Army, a leader of men, a person that people want to follow into battle, a general, a leader. Like that's that's Noah to me. Like that's how he kind of comes off. And I don't know Jaden Delora. I don't know him. I've spent a lot more time looking into Noah Fafita because he was the big recruit, of course, for Arizona this year. Now, the more I look into Jaden Delora, the more I read about him, maybe we'll find out great things about him as well. I know that he and Noah know each other well, uh, and I think that's an interesting aspect of it as well. So Arizona's not in a not in a bad position, but I think there are people that are fearful that by choosing one over the other that you could lose the other. I don't think that's the problem because I see them both as high-level competitors. And people say, well, Jane Delora just transferred after two years of Wazoo. First of all, Wazoo was a flaming mess last year. They had a coach who refused to get vaccinated against the, uh, the state mandate of being vaccinated as a state employee. There was that whole thing. Then he, he brought a lawsuit against them. There was all kinds of changes on the staff because there were other staff members who were like, nope, not getting, I'm not taking the needle, so fire me too. And they all left. There was, it was a, a big old mess at Wazoo. And Jaden Dolores saw an opportunity to come here and better his opportunity at getting to the next step, which is the NFL. Get with a guy like Jed Fish, NFL ties, NFL coach, coached quarterbacks for Bill Belichick, okay, there's, there's a lot of reasons why Jaden Delora decided to increase his odds of being an NFL quarterback as opposed to just languishing in that flaming mess of Washington State Cougar football. So it's not like he's, you know, a fly-by-night kind of guy. Like, oh, I'll just up and, you know, pack up my stuff. And it, look, that's the, that's the nature of college football that we're in, right? Transfer portal is insane. It's, you know, like free agency, it's you gave professionals free agency 50 years ago and things started to run rampant with it, but then they, they settled things down a little bit. Now you've given 19 and 20-year-olds the opportunity to do the same thing. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. So 
I, I don't I don't feel like because there are some fans that are like oh if we if he chooses you know Fafita over Delora we'll lose Delora if he loses Delora Noah's going to transfer uh, I don't think either of those are going to happen I think whoever he chooses will be the starter and whoever the backup is is going to push that player to be better that's the way I feel like they're both competitors they both know each other very well they're both highly competitive and uh, I agree with with Matt Moreno and his assessment of it as well so. So it was good to uh, good to have another practice under the belt there. Of course, the the uh, spring game coming up on April 9th. Hope to see you all there. It's going to be at noon on April 9th. I'll be there looking for uh, for some good times and watching the the first you know on field action for Arizona football. Now they they take they put the pads on tomorrow, so pads are going on tomorrow. So some live tackling tomorrow should be interesting, and uh, they'll have well, of course we'll have more reports from that. Michael Lev. And uh, Justin Spears will be on on hand, and we'll have some uh, some information for you on Friday morning on how the Thursday practice went. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, some NFL news and notes. The uh, free agent signing period opens today at 1 p.m. What are some of the projections? And also, what the hell are the Dallas Cowboys doing? That's next on the Jeff Dean Show. Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back here to the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson here weekday 7 to 9. And we're talking NFL. We talk NFL every single day here on the Jeff Dean Show. That is my promise to you now. I may have to break that promise tomorrow and Friday because it's March Madness and I only have a one-hour show. I don't know if I'll have time. So, you know, much like Frank the Tank, who uh, may not have had all the time to uh, go to Bed Bath & Beyond on uh, on their weekend excursion to Home Depot for some flooring and, and drapes and such, I may not have time to talk NFL tomorrow and Friday, but I will do my best to sneak in something because that's my promise and I keep promises. So um, some NFL news and notes. Of course, free agent period starts at 1 p.m. today. So in about four hours, all hell going to break loose, <laughs> right? We've already seen some of the signings, some of the early signings, and that's fine. They can, uh, they, you know, that those kinds, of, those kinds of things are allowed to happen depending on the player status and all this other stuff. I don't understand it, but whatever. Randy Gregory, yesterday, defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys, much maligned defensive end, especially coming into the league out of Nebraska, had all kinds of drug problems, was suspended several times. He got to sign, or I shouldn't say sign, he agreed to a pair of $70 million contracts yesterday. How? Well, I'll tell you. It was reported earlier in the day that Randy Gregory and the Dallas Cowboys had agreed to a five-year, $70 million re-signing deal. And then, <laughs> an hour later, the Denver Broncos said, no, 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 we've signed Randy Gregory to a five-year, $70 million deal. And everybody was like, whoa, WTF, what's going on here? <laughs> Did he sign two? Did Randy Gregory find a way to make $140 million? He's going to have to play for two teams, and I don't know how that's going to happen because they, you know, play on Sundays and all. But uh, <laughs> what in the world is going on? So did some digging, found out what exactly happened. Randy Gregory had been flirting with the Denver Broncos, as have a lot of people. 
there's a lot of uh, a lot of players that are interested in playing for the Denver Broncos right now, rightfully so. Talented team. Now they got a quarterback. They got a shot at at, uh, at an AFC title next year for sure. So he's been flirting with the Denver Broncos apparently since Monday. They had agreed in principle on a five-year, $70 million deal. Jerry Jones found out about this and called Randy Gregory and was like, Randy, Randy, listen, you know we love you. We're the right team for you. Uh, we know how to take care of you. We know how to handle you, you know, all this other stuff. We've been there for you through your trials and your tribulations, and we stood by you and we gave you money when nobody else would and blah, 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 and I'll match their deal. I'm going to go over – Stephen Jones, my son, I'm going to go over his head, and I'm going, to, I'm going to offer you the same deal the Denver Broncos are offering you. Randy Gregory said, oh, man, thank you so much, Mr. Jones. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. I would love to re-sign here and, and play and be a Dallas Cowboy for the next five years for you. Send over the contract details. So they did. They sent over the contract details. And then Randy Gregory's agent goes, uh, what the hell is this? Looking at the contract, there's a stipulation in the contract that stated that if Randy Gregory is fined, he will have to uh, forfeit all of his incentive bonuses, which would you know take away quite a bit of money. It's it's a it's a it's not a, an incentive laden contract by any stretch, but there's a lot of incentives in there to get him to that seventy million. So, the Cowboys basically said, like, look. Uh, you know, we want to we want to give you this seventy million dollars, but if you get fined, you're going to be forfeiting your incentive bonuses. And his uh, his agent, I can't remember his name. Um, I think it's I think it's Pete Schaefer is is, is who his uh, his uh, agent is. Um, he basically said, no, no, no. Look, there's nobody nobody else in the NFL is doing that. Like, not a single team in the NFL is taking away incentives for fines. There are teams, and just about every team will take away incentives if you get suspended. Sure. Uh, you lose time on the field. Yeah. But if you get fined, if you get that FedEx envelope in your locker on a Tuesday morning and there's a $12,500 fine in there that you got to hand off to the NFL and the Dallas Cowboys going to take away your incentive bonuses, nah. <laughs> I'll pass. So his agent said, look, Cowboys are trying to railroad you here. If you get fined, you lose all this money. And Randy Gregory's like, no, F that. I'm going to Denver. And now that's, you know, that's essentially where where things are at with Randy Gregory, the Cowboys, and the Broncos. So what are the Cowboys thinking as they're the only team? Apparently, according to his agent, who then you know, made things public yesterday, later, uh, last night, I guess, you know, later in the evening, um, he kind of went public with some of the things that are going on. The Cowboys told him that all of their deals are done that way, which is not true because Dak Prescott does not have a stipulation in his contract that states that he has to give up his incentives if he's fined. It was picking and choosing, basically saying, look, there are some, there are some problem players on our team, and if they get fined, they lose money. Well, they're the only team trying to do that, trying to pull that nonsense, and it is nonsense. Uh, don't you know, don't mistake that for anything other than than absolute nonsense on the part of the Cowboys, and they're losing players because of it now. Here's the real issue with it, and once again, <laughs> it all comes down to Jarrah, right? So Jarrah 
has got his son, Stephen Jones, who's the VP and general manager there. But apparently, Stephen Jones doesn't get involved in contract negotiations. They leave that to their cap guy, like the guy who manages their cap, their CPA, essentially. I don't even know the guy's name, Adam Prasica or something, Prasifica, whatever. He's, he's, a, he's a pencil pusher. He's, he's got a pocket protector. He's the guy that is essentially dealing with these players. So the first offer to Randy Gregory, I think, was for $30 million. It was four years, $30 million for for, uh, for Randy Gregory. And that's why he started flirting with the Broncos. As soon as Jerry found out that they were possibly going to lose him, he called him and was like, hey, uh, I want to I sign you the same deal. Gregory's like, okay, cool. And then sent it off, sent him to go deal with the accountant. And the accountant's like, okay, well, here uh, is a stipulation where if you get fined, and they're like, what? Slam on the brakes. What? It's, it is – this is what happens when you have an owner who gets involved like this. Now, there are certain situations where, sure, if you need to save the situation with a player or whatever, you got to step in, show them the love from the man at the top who's signing the checks. Sometimes that's necessary. However, it would not have been necessary in this situation if Jerry knew what the hell was going on within his own organization because he's got people underneath him that are running things, one of them – being his son, that don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> Somebody, I, I think, I think it was, I think it was Fanduel yesterday. Fanduel on Twitter t- posted of the funny video of, I think it was the Jaguars who had a, a fire on the field two years ago, and there's a guy with a you know, with a fire extinguisher trying to put it out. But there's this big flaming fire, this inferno on the sideline, right? And they're like, "What NFL team is this right now?" And I posted the Dallas Cowboys. They're a flaming inferno right now. They're losing wide receivers. They can't negotiate deals that, to re-sign players that have agreed to re-sign there. Like, they're a mess. And if you think the Dallas Cowboys are going to walk into the NFC East next year and win that thing, you got another thing coming. When, first of all, when was the last time an NFC, any NFC team repeated as division champ? It's been like 18 years, right? <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, man. Cowboys are kind of a mess. Here's the other question that I have today before we, uh, before we take a break here. What is the wide receiver market turning into? Christian Kirk signs for $21 million a year, doesn't even have a 1,000-yard season under his belt. Been in the league for four years, signs a huge deal with the Jags, right? Kind of changes things for the way Jarvis Landry and Allen Robinson are going to be, OBJ, going to be negotiating their contracts today. And their teams are going to be like, yeah, we want to offer you $18 million. Like, well, Christian Kirk got 21 And the other team's like, yeah, the Jaguars are crazy. <laughs> that's not our fault. And then the player says, well, that's not our fault either. I guess we'll find someone else who shows the love. But here's my question, looking down the road and looking in the very, very near future. We may already be upon it. Is the wide receiver position in the NFL going the way of the running back position, where it's basically like, We'll just have wide receiver by committee. Quarterback, far and away the most important position on the field. We'll just go by wide receiver by committee. If you got some speed, know the route tree, and don't drop you know, every third pass we throw you, you're going to be a part of this team. And once you get to be a prima donna and expect to be the highest paid player at your position at the wide receiver position, we're going to let you go. 
because we got seven other guys that will fill your shoes for a lot less money. Is it going the direction of the running back position? That is my question to you. Think about that. We're going to take a timeout. When I return, we'll continue more with some NFL and get into my NCAA bracket. Some look, a look ahead at the, uh, the NCAA bracket for Arizona as well as some of the players' names that you're going to be wanting to watch for in this season of March Madness. That's next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Gang, listen. There are plenty of people out there who just shouldn't involve themselves with social media. I talked about Kyler Murray yesterday and how he put his Instagram followers and his Instagram status ahead of his own football team, the team that employs him. Baker Mayfield stepped away from social media. was like, I'm done with social media. I can't. It's too toxic of a, of a place for me. He returned to social media yesterday to basically write some stupid goodbye letter to the fans of Cleveland. What? What? The past four years have been nothing short of truly life-changing since I heard my name called to the draft to go to Cleveland. Blah, 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 blah. I want to say thank you to the fans who truly embraced who I am. Yada, yada, yada. Cleveland will always be part of my family. And we will always be thankful for the impact it's had on our lives. Blah, blah, blah. Sincerely, Baker Reagan Mayfield. Who signs their name that way? I can't. I can't deal with children. Like, I just, I, I, and actual children are fine. Grown adults who are children? No, I don't have time for this. This is exactly the reason why I never would have drafted. If, in my opinion, Baker Mayfield was not a, a person you would want to spend a high draft pick on. Because he's a child. And one of the reasons why I said Kyler Murray should not be, I wouldn't, I literally said this, I'm quoted as saying this. I would not touch Kyler Murray with a 10-foot pole regarding the draft. He's a child. I, I just can't. Like the Social media has done so many things to people. It's turned them just – I was having this conversation with some people last night. I'm like, social media is the worst. <laughs> it's so bad. Yet we rely on it so heavily. God, what a pain. All right. Looking at my bracket here. No surprise. I got Arizona in the final four. Right? We're not, I'm not, not going to hold, you know, hold you guys in suspense here. I've got Arizona in the final four. Some upsets that you may want to look for. Okay, I've got a few upsets here that kind of carry on. Um, but to be honest with you, my Sweet 16 is mostly chalk. Uh, it, I mean, it really is. It's you know, I got all the one seeds advancing to the to the Sweet 16, which is probably a mistake. Somebody's going to get beat somewhere, right? I think the the one ah, I don't know. I say ripe for the picking is Baylor. Is UNC a team that could beat Baylor? I've seen UNC play plenty of times this year. I've seen them get they got beat by Florida State by almost forty points, and then turn around and beat Duke on Coach K night in Cameron by thirteen. So, ah, what is UNC? What is any of the ACC teams for that matter? Could NCC, uh, UNC beat Baylor 
in uh, in the round of 32? Sure they could. I mean, that's that 1-8 matchup. You got a, a proud program like, like North Carolina, Armando Baycott, one of the guys on my list of, of players to watch. He is he's a, he, a high-motor guy, active on both ends of the floor, real good player. Team that could beat Baylor, sure. I mean, Baylor looked so dominant early in the year, and then all of a sudden kind of like, meh. Not to mention, uh, defending champs have not fared well in the tournament. There's been a couple of times where they've done okay, gotten back to the Final Four kind of stuff, but for the most part, defending champs have been not great in the, in the tournament the following year. So some of the upsets I've got here, and I'll spare you the 9-8s because the 9s win more games than the 8s do anyway, so it's not even an upset. A lot of people are picking Colorado State over Michigan, the 6-11 matchup there. Michigan, 14 losses this year a high net ranking, right? They were number, what, 31, I think, in the net at the end of the season. I like Michigan over Colorado State. I think that, that you know, the the you know the bigs at Michigan and uh, and that wing player they got, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head now, just escaped me. I think they're just going to be a little too much for, for Colorado State to deal with. Michigan, I think, has kind of woken up since Jawan Howard got in that fight with Greg Gard and his staff at the, at the Wisconsin game, and I think – with you know, with him coming back just in time for the Big Ten tournament, they're not a great team. They weren't going to win the Big Ten, but I think they're good enough to win a game in the NCAA tournament against Colorado State. And nothing is Colorado State. Roddy is a hell of a player. But I like Michigan to upset in that one. Loyola Chicago is a 10 seed over the 7 seed. I'm pretty sure Loyola is already favored in that game over Ohio State anyway. But would Loyola, Loyola win a game against Villanova? That's the that's the question. Villanova is one of those teams, you know, we talked about them in our number one as a, a team that Arizona fans are afraid of because they slow the ball down. I'm not afraid of Villanova because they slow the ball down. I would be afraid of Villanova because they're the best free throw shooting team in the country. 83% from the free throw line. They're the number one free throw shooting team in the country. So, like, that's what would scare me about Villanova is if they went to the free throw line 25 times and converted 23 of them. That's a lot of points given up with the clock stopped that you can do nothing about. Like, that's what would scare me the most. But is a team like Loyola, who is, you know, they've got the big that can anchor the center. They've got two dynamic ball handling guards. Is that a team that could beat Villanova? A 10 over a 2. It happens fairly often, more often than people think. That 10 seed, the double-digit seed, advances to the Sweet 16 at least once a year. So is Loyola that team that could be that, you know, that second weekend double-digit uh, seed? I've got Virginia Tech beating Texas in the first round. That's an 11 seed over the sixth. I, I like Virginia Tech's athleticism over Chris Beard's kind of like he doesn't have the team yet that he once had. You know, obviously the Texas Tech team that he had that went to the Final Four uh, was so very, very good, but they're extremely athletic, and they had Garrett Culver who could shoot the ball. They don't have that kind of guy right now. Texas is kind of like, oh, we'll just sit and wait and let teams come to us. If you let Virginia Tech come to you, they will go airborne and slam the ball on your face. So, you know, that could be a team that is, that is advancing into the second round as a double digit. My final four is this, all right? And, and it, this may change, but I don't see it changing a whole lot. I've got Gonzaga emerging from the West as the one seed. I've got Purdue emerging as the three seed from the East. Defense wins championships, I know that, but offense wins games, and they'll win enough games to get into the Final Four. 
they'll outscore UCLA in the regional final and get to the final four. I have Arizona emerging from the south, as I mentioned, and I have Auburn emerging from the Midwest, which would give me the matchup that I wanted. Look, to, for Arizona to get there, according to my bracket, they'll have to beat Illinois, rematch. They'll have to beat Tennessee, rematch. And then they'll have to beat Auburn, which I think is the most compelling matchup in all of the, in all of the tournament outside of an Arizona-Gonzaga final. That Arizona-Auburn game is going to be, if, if that's what happens, that's the matchup that I think is going to be epic. And I think that's part of why I picked it. I was like, I just want to see it. I'm hoping that I can will it into existence. I want Arizona to play Auburn. I want to see that game. Because I think so highly of both teams, but I love Arizona's chances because of Auburn's basketball IQ. It's probably the lowest in the, in the, in the tournament. Their, their basketball IQ is, is incredibly low, but they play so hard. So that's what I've got. That's my final four. We'll talk more about it tomorrow. And uh, I'll, I'll unveil my official bracket. I'll put it out there on Twitter and stuff. You can always follow me on Twitter at UAZ Voice, at UAZ Voice on Twitter if you want to uh, give me a follow. All right. We're going to take a timeout. When I return, I'll put a big, bright, red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. That's next right here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. People may wonder, like, you know, what are the extremes of the NCAA tournament as far as teams go? Like, Who's the highest scoring team? Who's the lowest scoring team? Who's the fastest team? Who's the slowest team? Who's the best shooting team? Who's the worst shooting team? I have your answers. Highest scoring team is Gonzaga. They average about 88 points a game this year. Your lowest scoring team is San Diego State, averaging 65 points per game. Fastest team is Gonzaga. They average just under 74 possessions per game. Uh, Arizona, I think at like 72.8 or something like that. They're, They're right behind Gonzaga as far as possessions per game. Slowest team? is Akron at 63 possessions per game. So you know, about 10 possessions per game less. That's quite a, quite a drastic drop. I mean, it's, it's a big, big number considering. The best free throw shooting team, as I mentioned, Villanova. The, I think they're the best free throw shooting team in the country, 83% uh, for Villanova. The worst free throw shooting team is Boise State, shooting 65% from the free throw line. Always, these are always big things that come into, you know, when people pick, uh, you know, a matchup. If you're looking at that Memphis-Boise State matchup, you're like, oh, I don't know. Remember, Boise State's the worst free throw shooting team in the country, and Memphis fouls a lot. So there you go. The best three-point shooting team is South Dakota State. South Dakota State is so good at shooting threes, they are nearly 4% more accurate at shooting threes than any other team in the country. The second-best team barely shoots over 40%. South Dakota State, 44%. The worst three-point shooting team is TCU, whom Arizona could face in the second round. The most experienced team is Texas Southern. They, of course, cashed their ticket, uh, punched their ticket last night. The least experienced team, we've talked about it, it's Arizona. Arizona's the least experienced team in the, in, the, in the tournament. Arizona's also the tallest team in the tournament. Smallest team is Longwood, ironically. <laughs> so that's some of your, uh, those are some of your notes there. Uh, an interesting other note here, something to think about, and reason why I'm picking Vermont to win tomorrow uh, in their game against Arkansas. Vermont 
has the second-best defensive rebounding percentage of all time, all time, in the history of college basketball. They have the second-best defensive rebounding percentage of all time. They rebound 81% of their opposing team's missed shots. That is unbelievable. A little something to think about there. That's going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Thanks to Mary back in the studio for pushing all the right buttons and keeping me on the air here today. And, of course, thanks to you guys for tuning in. And I will see you guys again tomorrow morning here at 7 a.m. for a Thursday edition of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson.